but I, I'm feeling a lot better, so thank you for your prayers, and I appreciate Brother Curtis for the song selection this morning. I, I spent a little bit of time before service when I looked at the songs we're going to be singing today just to meditate a little bit upon them, and and they they ministered to me just thinking about the message in those songs, and because we're we're living in some days of uncertainty and there's spiritual warfare going on as well as physical war going on around the world and so it's good for us to reflect upon that blessed assurance if you know Christ is your Savior what a blessing to know and have that assurance that Jesus is mine and and then realizing that Jesus is the fount of every blessing Every blessing that we experience is, is from the Lord. And just, just think how blessed we are. I mean, there are some people in the Middle East right now that's they're going through some pretty, pretty hard times right now. And so we can certainly count, count our blessings this morning. And, but more than the physical blessings are the spiritual blessings that we have. Amen? I mean, if you know Christ and you no truth you have light and you're not in darkness and so many of those people over there my heart's broken because of the spiritual darkness that many of them are in you know it should break our heart to pray for them and then to think about that song the love of God I mean how Jesus he's the he's the very expression and demonstration of the love of God I mean there's this that's such a tremendous hymn to think about how immeasurable the love of God is. We can't even we can't even quantify it. We can't measure it because it's so great. But I, I did write down something from that fourth verse of that last hymn. I will sing the wonder story. I, I want to read that fourth verse because I know a lot of times when we're singing, we we're singing but we're not thinking about what we're singing. We're not, we're not contemplating the message. We're, we're just kind of neutral, just singing. Uh, but we really need to sing with understanding. But in that fourth verse, it says, Days of darkness still come over me. Sorrow's paths I often tread. I mean, that's true of all of us, is it not? Amen. I mean, even for myself, there's times that there's days of darkness. There's times of, of sorrows and it says, but the Savior still is with me. By his hand I'm safely led. Yes, I will sing the wondrous story of Christ who died for me. Sing it with the saints in glory gathered by the crystal sea. Aren't you thankful for that truth in the days of darkness? The days of sorrow that our Savior is still with us. He still cares. Now let's go to Isaiah 50, and I, I was preparing to continue our series in Acts 13, but I feel like the Lord had me to uh, preach from this passage this morning, so we're going to take a break from Acts, and we're going to look at this passage, and I want to just mention that in the greater context of Isaiah 50, God told his people to sing. So I want you to go back in the previous chapter, chapter 49. I want you to look at something in verse 13. Chapter 49 and verse 13. I want you to look at what the Lord tells his people Israel. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. Now notice the reason why. For the Lord had comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. Aren't you thankful for that? That the Lord does comfort his people? Amen. That he does show mercy upon his afflicted? You know, Israel... In this time that Isaiah writes was going through 
some very difficult and dark days, just like they are today. I mean, we, I'm sure most of us have watched a little bit of what's going on in Israel and some of the atrocities that's been committed against Israel by terrorists. And I don't know what news source you watch, but I'm basically getting most of my news from a Israeli born-again Christian that is in Galilee and former IDF and he's on the ground there. He's, he gives uh, objective information of what's going on. And, uh, but it's heartbreaking to see how many of the families over there have suffered such atrocities with the terrorists coming into their homes and taking and murdering them and burning them and butchering them, even their children, elderly people, taking them out uh, captive to Gaza. It, it's such a it's such a horrible, horrible thing. And you know, there's a there's so many lies in the media. There's so much hatred in the media towards Israel. And I know Israel's not perfect. And I do not always agree with Israel's policies, but I do want to make this public statement that I do support Israel's right as a nation and their right to defend themselves from terrorists. And I do believe that the land was given to them by God over 3,000 years ago. I mean, it's their land. And uh, an honest look at history, there is no history of Palestinians or Arabs living in what we know as Palestine, the, the land of Palestine or what this, where Israel is today. There is no history of cities by Arab names. There's no history of Arabs living there. I mean, even before the Jews became a nation in 1946, it was practically empty. The people that live in certain areas were either Jewish or Christian. But besides that, I, I just want to say that don't believe all the lies and deception because the Bible's clear that God has given that land to Israel and Israel is key to end time prophecy, them being a nation. And uh, those that bless Israel, God will bless. I mean, the Bible clearly teaches that. And so, as I said, I do not always agree with them because they are right now given in part to blindness. Romans tells us that in chapter 11 that they rejected Jesus, the Messiah, at the first coming. And so they are given to blindness. Though there are many Jews that have trusted Christ and are followers of Christ at this time, as a, as a whole, uh, they're still blind. And, uh, but one day when Jesus comes to earth, when he comes to Jerusalem uh, on the white horse, they shall be saved at that time. And so I, I, just, I just wanted to say that, that but also... You know, my heart's not just burdened for Israel. I am burdened for them. I am, my heart breaks for them. But I'm also burdened for the Arabs that are in, in Gaza, in West Bank, in Israel, in the Middle East, all over the world. I'm burdened because these people are in darkness. They're spiritually blinded to the truth. They need the gospel. They need the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that can change their lives. The only thing that can give them hope. The only thing that can change their hearts from hatred to love. And the same goes for Israelis. Israelis that don't know Jesus as Messiah. Only Jesus can give them peace. Only Jesus can change their hearts to where they love their neighbors. 
And, you know, Jesus taught to love your enemies and so on. And so my heart is burdened to pray for them. And I, I want to... I'm just kind of following the lead of the Lord this morning. So before we just dive into this passage, if you'll hold your place in Isaiah 50 and, and turn with me to Psalm 83. I want to read this, just a few verses in Psalm 83 before we pray for the message this morning. In Psalm 83, I want to read verses 1 through 4 and then we're going to read read the last three verses of the chapter. I think it's very appropriate to what's going on in Israel today. Notice how this psalm begins. It's, 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 it's a prayer to God. Keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace. And be not still, O God. You, you feel that they're, they're praying for God to act, to do something. Why? Verse 2. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult. And they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said... Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. And I, I just want to say that that's exactly the intent of Hamas, Hezbollah, Israel, and many others. Their intent, you know, it's sad New Zealand said just, Recently, they took the side of Palestinians and said that, that we need to dismantle Israel as a nation. Now, I want you to just stop and think of what, what has taken place last Saturday, a week ago. People that murder civilians and babies and children and elderly people that were to give them favor and this nation that was dwelling basically without disturbing them that we are to dismantle them well what you have to understand is is that there's a conspiracy and it's it's not just an earthly conspiracy I'm talking about there's a satanic conspiracy that's been going on since Genesis chapter 3. This conspiracy of Lucifer, we know him as Satan. He's fallen angel. He hates God. And he hates Israel. He hates Christians. And he is doing everything he can to destroy all of them. He, he wants nothing but death and destruction. And so we need to see the bigger picture. The bigger picture is there's a satanic conspiracy. And Satan is using people who are in darkness to do his bidding. And that's why I say pray for their salvation. I do not desire people to die and go to hell. I don't, I don't desire... For, you know, my heart really actually goes out to the Palestinians. I really, I, especially those that have grown up there all their life and, and they have been deceived. They, many of them maybe do not want to be terrorists, but they're stuck. And it's heartbreaking. But let's look at the last three verses before we pray. Verse 16. Notice what he prays about the enemies of God. Fill their faces with shame. Now, now, why did he pray that? He said, that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Verse 17, let them be confounded and troubled forever. 
Yea, let them be put to shame and perish. Notice verse 18. That men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. You see, this prayer is, it wasn't just to punish these enemies, but he was praying that they might seek thy name, O Lord. That they might know that thou art Jehovah alone. That's a biblical prayer for us to pray this morning. So let's pray. Father, we, we come to you with hearts that are heavy with for both the Israeli and Arabic people that are in the Middle East and in, in this war and this experiencing some of the devastation some of the atrocities of this war Lord we're so far removed sometimes we we don't think about it or we cannot even imagine what it's like but it's it's real tragedy taking place right now Lord it's it's no doubt days of darkness for these people days of sorrow great deep sorrow parents who had their children butchered some of them had them burned alive by a terrorist have no regard for life oh I cannot imagine cannot imagine the parents that have children that have been abducted they're now in the hands of terrorists in Gaza, not knowing whether their children are alive or dead. Not knowing how they're being treated or not knowing what's going on. I cannot imagine. But Lord, we know that the true enemy is Satan. The enemy of our souls, the one who who is the deceiver of all the nations, the one that is behind all the false religions and false teachings. The one that seeks to deceive and lie and hold people in bondage to lies. To destroy them. Oh Lord, I know one day you're going to deal with Satan. I know one day he's going to be cast in the lake of fire. But until the end, God, we pray for mercy upon those that are afflicted right now, those that are involved in this. And even our country is there and may very soon be involved in it. Lord, it could affect us here back home. Lord, this is something we should care about. This is something we should pray about. This is something we should converse with you about. The Lord is the psalmist wrote here. Lord, I'm praying that you'd fill their faces with shame. That they might seek thy name, O Lord. They need to know thee. And your love that we sang about just a moment ago. Your love that is just immeasurable. That's infinite. That's just... Words cannot describe how amazing it is. And Lord Jesus, to see how that you laid it all down. Sacrifice your life for us. That we can have forgiveness. That we can have life. That we can have light, hope, peace, joy. That we can experience love. Lord, I pray for... I know you have people, redeemed people that are in those places. I have no doubt about it. I know that there are people in Israel. There's probably most likely people even in Gaza, West Bank, that are your soldiers, that are your witnesses.
Lord, may you be with them. May you strengthen them. May you help them to stand strongly and boldly, shine as lights in the midst of this great darkness, to give hope that's only to be found in you. Oh, Lord, we're praying that you'd bring them to shame and, Lord, that they might seek you, that they might know thee, that you are the only true God. You're the only Savior. There's none else. Lord, I pray for your blessing now upon this time that we have together in your word. God, speak to us, Lord. Comfort our hearts, Lord. I'm thankful for the promise that you do comfort your your people and you show mercy to the afflicted. Lord, we pray you minister the word through me today by your spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go back to Isaiah 50. Isaiah 50. As we were talking, God told him to sing. And I want you to sing uh, because I have comforted my people. I have had mercy on the afflicted. But I want you to know verse 14 before we go to 50. Uh, uh, chapter 49, verse 15. It says, but... Zion said, and Zion is another name for Israel. It's, a, it's actually a, another name for Jerusalem. It says, Zion said, the Lord had forsaken me, and my Lord had forgotten me. And so this is the context leading up into chapter 50 that because of what Israel was going through at this time in history, that was how they were feeling. They were feeling like God had forsaken them, but God had forgotten them because this was written, Isaiah was written after the Syrian invasion into the northern kingdom of Israel, took all them captive, and I want you to understand that there were lives that were brutally killed in that war. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a pretty picture at all. The Syrians were known as very, very violent wicked in how they treated the people that they took over and, and took into captivity. So it was a brutal thing and then the Assyrians were threatening Judah, Jerusalem. We read not too long ago in our Bible reading in, in the Kings about Hezekiah. It, did you know that during the days of Hezekiah, Isaiah that's when he served in his ministry. Not just Hezekiah, but it was through Hezekiah's reign. And it was during Hezekiah's reign that Assyria came and surrounded and held Jerusalem in a siege. Threatened them that they were going to destroy them. And Hezekiah trusted the Lord. He took their letter of threat and took it to God, to the house of God. He laid it before God. He prayed. He said, God, deliver us. He told Isaiah to pray. Isaiah prayed. And a miracle took place. The angel of the Lord came and killed all these Assyrians. I think there were over 700 and 85,000. I'm trying to remember the exact number, but there was, there was a lot. They were just found slain the next morning. The angel of the Lord delivered Israel, delivered Jerusalem from the Syrians. But now they, they are facing, and I'm, I'm told about a century after this chapter 50, they're going to be taken captive into Babylon. But they're already hearing about it. God's already warning them about it. God's already talking to them, communicating to them judgment that they need to repent and come back to Him. And, and so this is, this is where they are. They're, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot, they're disheartened about their future and God gives them this message in the midst of all that. And, and I, I want to just say that there's so much application for us today because there's a lot of uncertainty here in America too. 
Would you not agree? Would you not agree there's been a lot of rumors of a war? There's all kinds of rumors circulating right now. It's just, if you sit and stop and think about it, it, you would go crazy thinking about it with fear. There's rumors of an EMP blast over America. We're going to be in the dark ages for the next year. 90% of Americans are going to die. That's something that's out there, and they're claiming it, that the highest in our government, they know about this, but they're not telling whether that's true or not. I don't know, but I'm just saying it's out there. Then there's, there's threats of people saying, don't be in a big city in the next 12 months because we're letting all these people over our borders, and now we're involved in this war. Hamas is saying America's next. Europe and America's next. I mean, there's all this. We could just dwell on this this morning and, and, and we can get ourselves into the place where Israel is just thinking, man, Lord, our future, where's our future of our country? There's a lot of uncertainty, I will say. I am thankful for the Word of God. I'm thankful for the hope that we have in Christ. And that's why I bring this message to you because the Lord gave it to His people during a time of darkness. A time when they were thinking that, God, where are you? You've forgotten and forsaken us. Now let's read verse 1 again. Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? Whom have I put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold? Or I have sold you? Now, I want to just stop there. there. There's these two questions here. And I, I want to help you understand. Okay, this is, this is the Lord God speaking. This is whom we would know as God the Father. God the Father here speaking to Israel. And in the Old Testament, God the Father has this relationship with the nation Israel. It began at Mount Sinai. When, when Moses received the law on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, and, and that covenant was ratified there at Mount Sinai, at that moment, they were in covenant together, Israel and, and, and the Lord God. And in the Scripture, God uses the analogy of marriage. He calls... Israel, his wife, and he considers himself their husband. And that's used in many places in the scripture, and we don't have time to turn there, but there's uh, even in chapter 54, you'll see it in Isaiah verses 4 and 5, you'll see it in Isaiah 62, 1 through 5, you'll see it in Jeremiah chapter 2, chapter 3, you'll see it in Hosea chapter 2. I really love this prophet Hosea because if you know the story of Hosea his wife was unfaithful she left him went and committed adultery became a harlot and God said Hosea I want you to go get your wife and bring her back now you got to understand that in the Old Testament whenever a, a wife was put away for immorality that according to Deuteronomy 24, she could not come back to her husband. She was defiled. And, but in Hosea, God says, even though that is, I'm telling you, Israel, even though you've committed adultery against me spiritually, you went after all these idols. I'm asking you, I want you to be my wife again. I, I, he, God says, I love you. I'm not cast you off. See, God made a covenant with these people. Now, when you go back to chapter 49, after they said that in verse 14, he said in verse 15, Can a woman forget her sucking child? That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Our walls are continually before me. You know, God is saying, listen, I won't forget you. And so when we come to chapter 50, verse 1, he's, he's saying, you are saying I've for, forgotten you. You're saying nation, as a nation, as my wife, that I have given you a bill of divorcement, that I've, I'm done with you, that I've cast you aside. He says, where is it? Bring that bill of divorcement. 
I have not sold you to any creditors. I'm not giving you an exile to these other countries because, uh, you know, I, I need money or I owe these nations. But notice what he says. Behold, for your inequities have ye sold yourselves. And for your transgressions is your mother put away. So he's making it clear that I have not forsaken you. I have not forgotten you. But you have forgotten me. You have forsaken me. It is because you have sold yourselves. You have sold yourselves by your iniquities and your sins. Verse 2, he says, Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? This is a question. God is saying, when I came to you, how come there was no man to meet me and greet me and welcome me? And then he says, when I called, was there none to answer? So he says, wherefore, mean, wherefore is like saying why. He said, why is it when I came there's no man? Why is it when I called that there's no one to answer? Now how did God call? How did God come, come to them? Well, through the prophets. He came through His Word. He came speaking to them. He sent His prophets to them. But guess what? They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't receive the prophets. They wouldn't hear the prophets. There's, he said there's none. And in the Hebrew, it's like an emphatic... No, not one. There wasn't one to listen. There wasn't one to listen to me as I was coming to plead with you. And that's what God is saying to them here. And it's heartbreaking to think they wouldn't listen to God. I wonder though if we're guilty of the same thing. That God comes to us and speaks to us, but we're not listening. Amen. How does God come to us? Pretty much the same way. We hear it through preaching, teaching. We might be in the Bible early in the morning talking to the Lord and, and God speaks through His Word to us. Amen. That's how He comes to us. That's how He calls us. That's how He speaks and but I wonder if sometimes we're guilty of the same thing as Israel. So I want you to picture what's going on here. Israel is like, God, because of where we are, look at what's happening to our nation. Look at what's happening around us. And our future looks bleak. And God, you've forgotten us. And where are you, God? God says, I've been here all along. Where are you? You've forgotten me. You've forsaken me for idols. Other gods. You've been unfaithful. You've been disobedient. And he goes on in verse 2. Is, is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh because there's no water and die for thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. God is saying, do you not have faith that I am able to deliver you? Not only were they not listening to God. Not only were they doubting God and his love for them. Thinking that he had left them. But they wouldn't believe God. That he could deliver them. They wasn't going to him and praying, God, you're God. You dried up the Red Sea. So God, this is nothing for you to come and help us in this situation. No, they wasn't praying that. Or God, you're able to just turn the lights out in all the heavens that there is just darkness. And by the way, he did that. At the cross. Matthew 27 tells us about it. When Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew 27, 45, it says that there was darkness over the face of the earth. It was from 12 o'clock noon to 3 in the afternoon. 
You know, yesterday, I don't know if you saw the solar eclipse, but it wasn't a full eclipse here in Dumas, Texas, which I wish it would have been. In 2006, we were in Ghana, and they had a total solar eclipse, and this is my first time to ever experience it live like that. There was a ring of fire like we had here in some places in America, but but it was, I think it happened then in the morning, it was between 9 and 10 o'clock in the morning. I remember my family, we were going outside, it was kind of getting kind of hazy looking, kind of like you had sunglasses on, and it was weird, and we didn't have any kind of glasses, so we had this video camera, and so we could look through the, you know, the ones that flip out the little side, we, we could look and see the moon moving over the sun. And when it came to the time that it was fully covering the sun, it, it was dark. The street lights in the area started coming on. All the traffic we was watching down the road from, from our house where we were up on a hill looking down, all the traffic pulled over. Everybody pulled over and stopped. And I mean, it was kind of a weird thing. Here in the middle of the morning, when it's sun is shining, there ain't a cloud in the skies, and then all of a sudden it's dark. Well, imagine what it was like on Calvary. In the middle of the day, it just went black. God has the power to do that. God has the power. You know, God's telling His people, this, this exile that's coming, these problems that you're experiencing... It's not because I've somehow lost power and can't help you. The good news is God's hand is not shortened. That he cannot redeem them. He doesn't lack power to deliver them. He has the power. And I want to say to you today, he's just as powerful today as he was when he parted the Red Sea. But do we believe God, do we have faith in God when we're going through the darkest days and walking through the valleys of the shadow of death, we're walking in times of sorrow, there's overcast in our spirit and we're like, God, why, why, God, where are you, God? Do we believe that God loves us? Do we still believe that he's with us? Do we still have faith? God, I know whatever I'm going through, you have something good planned and you're going to bring me through, you're going to deliver. Or are we like Israel? God, you've forsaken us. Where are you, God? Where are you? So we see in these first three verses, the nation of Israel, God is conversing with them. He's talking with them, using questions that demand a response to try to show them that he still cares. And he still is able to save them. Now when we come to verse 4, in verses 4 through 9, this is a section that is clearly speaking of the Messiah, prophecy of Jesus. And in Isaiah, there are four passages that speak of the Messiah and using the term servant. He is called the, we, we, you may have heard of the suffering servant. We get that from Isaiah 52, 53, where he talks about the servant who came to die for our sins. You know, we first learned about the servant in chapter 42, Verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighted. I put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. When you read through this passage and you get to verse 6, that he, I will give thee for a covenant of the people a light for, of the Gentiles to open the blind eyes to bring the prisoners out of prison, them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. You know that was fulfilled in the Gospels when Jesus came? 
Do you remember in Matthew, or not Matthew, Mark 10.45, this is what Mark records of Jesus. Jesus said, I came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. Now the word minister means servant. Jesus is literally saying, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve and to give my life. Where did that servant idea come from? Isaiah. Isaiah said the Messiah, he's going to be a servant. The servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord. Paul in Philippians 2 said, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on and he describes Jesus. Even though that he was in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And it went on to say, but he made himself... He humbled himself and he made himself a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. And as a servant, he obeyed the Father even to the cross. So I, I, I bring those scriptures up to help you to see that this is who is talking here. And it's the servant in prophecy speaking. It's Jesus speaking, verse 4 saying the Lord God had given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth my ear to hear the learn. The Lord God had opened my ear and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters. My cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame. And spitting. Verse 6 is pretty clear, isn't it? Remember when Jesus was beaten? His, his beard was plucked out. They spat upon him. All that was fulfilled in the New Testament. Something you need to understand about Jesus. When he came to this earth. He came as a servant. And. When he was ministering on earth. He had to live by faith like we live by faith today. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to deny his deity. He, he is God in the flesh, yes. He was this very son of God who came and was made flesh. But when he was here in flesh, he laid aside those things. And he, if you look at his life, you see that he lived in dependence on his father. He lived by faith. You find verse 4 fulfilled in the Gospels. Mark one thirty-five. it says that Jesus got up a great while before the day and he went out into the wilderness to pray in a solitary place. And you'll find that in not just Mark one thirty-five, but many other scriptures you're going to find Jesus he got up a great while before day. He went every morning. And in fact it says here that morning by morning and you know what Jesus is saying here? That my Father equipped me to be the perfect servant to come and die and redeem Israel. And not just Israel, but for the whole world that would believe on Him. Amen. Jesus is acknowledging that His Father has given Him this Ability that the Father had, He said, had given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak. Amen. I mean, even though He was in Him was the fullness of the Godhead, even though in Him is hid all the wisdom, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2 3 says. I mean, even though that, He said it was God that gave me this. God that had, where did He get this wisdom? in conversation with his father. Every morning he would, the father would wake him and he would, I want to explain something. Even though it says the father wakeneth him and it says the father opened my ear, verse 5 says, I want you to understand there's two things. Number one, the 100% depend, dependability on the Father. That's one thing. Number two, the 100% responsibility. 
those are two important things we understand that we know without the Lord we can do nothing, right? John 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me you can do nothing. I, I can't do anything without God. Not that's going to bring forth fruit that abides. I, without God, I'm totally powerless. But at the same time, I'm totally responsible. What, I'm, what am I responsible to do? I'm responsible when He wakes me up to wake up and go meet Him. I'm responsible opens my ears to listen to what he has to say. And I'm responsible to obey what he tells me to say or, or to do. Do you get where I'm going with this? Amen. He, he equips me to preach. He gives me the gift of teaching. He gives me time to study and he opens my understanding. He gives me scripture and shows me things. But still I have to get up here on Sunday morning and preach. You know, we, there's 100% responsibility, but there's 100% dependability. We see that in the life of Jesus. He said, the Lord God opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. You see the contrast he's making here between Israel? And God is making a contrast. He's telling his people, well, even way back then, he said, this is you, but my servant, he was perfectly obedient. My servant, he listened to me when you didn't listen to me. My servant, he had ear, not just listened, but he obeyed, but you didn't. He's making a contrast here. And you know, I love these verses because when he said, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair, I hid not my face from shame and spitting. When he went to the father every morning, he would go and talk to his father, and his father would converse with him and tell him, this is what I want you to do today. And can you imagine when, when the father said, all right, Jesus, it's time. It's time for the cross. You remember when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, how he... I prayed with sweat, as it were, drops of blood. Uh, he wrestled over that cup of God's fury and wrath that he was going to drink at the cross. And how he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But he didn't stop there, did he? He said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So thy will be done. Here, Jesus, when he says, I gave my back to the smiters, I gave my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face. You know what Jesus is saying here? He said, I, I voluntarily, I did this. The Father said, this is my will. This is what I want you to do. To redeem my people. And Jesus said, I will. I'll give my back. I'll give my beard to be plucked. I'll give my face to be spat upon. To think about how he gladly, voluntarily did it. You know, it's just mind-boggling. And then he says in verse 6, or I'm sorry, verse 7, For the Lord God will help me. You see his faith? He, he's living in dependence in the Father. He said, Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Jesus, this like a flint, this means that he set his face steadfastly. You know, in the Gospels it says that he set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem. It was like a plant that he set his face to go to the cross. A plant is a rock, a stone, it's something hard. 
Your faith as a rock is something that's it's not changing, it's not moving, it's, it's steadfast. So Jesus is implying here that I have given myself to do His will and I do it with delight. Gladly I give my back and I'm going to set my face steadfastly like a plant. Oh, that we would be like Jesus when God comes to speak to us. But how much more we're often like Israel. God comes speaking and we're not listening. Or we have our own plan, our own solution, our own ways, our own thoughts. Or we tell God later, not now. And we wonder why we are in darkness. But Jesus, who should be our, not just our Savior, but our example. We should follow his example. Morning by morning, we should get up and spend some time with him. And learn. You know, when it says that that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Remember when Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, All ye that are labored or heavy laden, come unto me. I'll give you rest. Amen. I mean, there are, there are times in the scriptures that they were amazed. In Luke 4, I believe it was, Jesus was at the synagogue in Nazareth. He read the scriptures and he expounded on them. And the people were amazed at his, the graciousness of his words. There were other times that they would say, No man ever spake like this man. Why did he have such authority and power speaking? Not just because he was the Son of God, but because he spent time with the Father. He would be there in the presence of the Father and gave his ear to listen and God given him a tongue of the learned to know how to speak. Did you know that we can follow that example? That when we go into that time with the Lord, we spend time conversing with God, as Brother Tim spoke about in Connect this morning. And we're conversing with Him, we're talking with Him, we're spending time in His Word. God is going to pour something into us because He wants to build us up. He wants to build our relationship with Him. He wants to... He has something to do for us and He wants to equip us to do it. Where do we get equipped? In the garden. In the morning with Him. In early hours praying. That's where Jesus got equipped. And there God does something. He gives us something. He gives us a word. He gives us some assurance. He gives us some reviving so that we can go and do what he told us to do. So that we have a word to speak to someone that is of a weary soul. But you know what? When we don't do the example of Jesus in chapter, verse 4, we're like Israel. We're burdened with life's problems. We're a little bit down in spirit. Maybe discouraged. And then we meet someone with a need. And we can't help them. Because we're just as down as they are. We're just as discouraged as they are. We need a word of comfort just as much as they need. Do you see where I'm going with that? How important it is that we spend time with the Lord like Jesus did. Depend on Him for our strength. He wants to comfort us. He wants to minister to us, but we have to come to Him. When He comes, we have to meet Him. When He calls, we have to answer. Amen. You know, though He was going to be falsely accused, He said in verse 8, He is near, speaking of the Lord God. He's near that justifieth me. He knew that His Father was going to vindicate Him. He said, who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. 
Who is he that shall condemn? Lo, they shall all wax old as a garment, and the moth shall eat them up. If you look in Romans 8, you don't have to go there now, but just later, Romans 8, 31 through 39, very similar wording is what we see here. We who are in Christ, we're more than overcomers through him that loved us. We too can say to those that condemn us, who is he that condemneth? For Christ died for us. He rose and he's at the right hand of God and he makes intercession for us. He justifies us. He vindicates us. He defends us. He protects us. I want to come to the last two verses because of our time. This is the application. This is the Holy Spirit speaking. I know it doesn't say Holy Spirit anywhere, but we see the Father in the first three verses. We see Jesus in verse 4 through 9. But here in these last two verses is some application questions. And, and here it's, it's right in the text it's speaking directly to the remnant of believers in Israel at that day and time. But as you know, Scripture is relevant. It speaks, right? And so it also applies to us. But the question in verse 10, Who is among you that feareth the Lord? That, now listen to this. That obeyeth the voice of his servant. The voice of his servant. Jesus is his servant, right? That walketh in darkness and hath no light. So he's talking about those that, that obey his voice, those that fear the Lord, but yet they're... They're in darkness. There are times that believers walk in darkness. We sing about it. I pointed out to you in the song that we sing. He says, let, 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 let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. So what are you saying? Believers, you that fear God, you that are walking with God when you're in darkness, just keep trusting him. To stay upon Him. Depend upon Him. Rest upon Him. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. was known to say this. Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. Sometimes God teaches us in great moments of spiritual victory. But when we get in darkness, times of sorrow, we forget. We forget what He taught us in the light. We forget in darkness, or we doubt in darkness what He told us in the light. Basically, verse 10, he's saying, listen, just if you, if you have some darkness in your life right now, if there's some d discouragement right now, if there's a little bit of just you feel a little down right now about things in your life or maybe things going on in the world today, he's telling us just keep trusting. Keep trusting. Keep staying on him. Keep getting up early in the morning and letting the Father speak to you. He will bring you out of that darkness. He will give you light. But notice the next verse, verse 11. There's a different address to some, a different group of people here. Behold all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks. Walk in the light of your fire, and in the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall ye have in my hand. You shall lie down in sorrow. This is speaking of those that they're going to try to light their own fire. They're going to try to create their own light. They're, they're going to leave God out and say, I got this. I can do this. I'm going to man my way through this darkness. I'm going to make it through. I'm going to create my own light, my own fire. And God says, you shall lie down in sorrow. You'll be left in darkness. 
You know, a lot of times we, instead of running to God, instead of trusting Him and staying on Him, we try to do it ourselves. And that is what he's talking about in verse 11. But I think the greatest application that could be made of it is this, is that there are people today in darkness, spiritually, spiritually dark, they don't know Christ. There may be people here this morning that are lost. You don't, you don't know Christ. You don't have assurance of salvation. You don't have Christ living in you. You're in literal darkness. And you're trying yourself to create a spiritual spark, a spiritual light, by coming to church, by trying to be a good person, by trying to be like Jesus, by trying to do this, read your Bible, trying to pray. If you try to light your own fire to be your own light, you're going to lie down in sorrow for all eternity. For all eternity. Without Christ, without light, without hope. But if you come to Jesus, he, He's the one that gave His back to the smiters. He's the one that laid His life down for us. And we're, if you, when you get into this reading this week, when you get to the end of chapter 52, and you get into chapter 53... Spend some time there meditating on those scriptures and reading because he's going to explain how the servant, why, why he suffers and why he suffers for us. It's for our transgressions. It's for our sins. We should be thankful that the servant came, Jesus, he laid aside his kingly robes. He laid aside his kingly crown. He left his throne. He came to this earth. He took upon himself a robe. A servant's robe. Became a servant. And gave himself for us. On the cross. That art to move us today to think that God would love us that much. How could we ignore Him? How could we not listen to Him? How could we not say, Lord, what would you have me to do? I want to do it with all that I have. Knowing that He loves us that much. We should be ashamed when we begin to say, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. God has forgotten me. We should be ashamed because we can look at the cross and see how much He loves us. Amen. He loves us so much. So much that He gave Himself for us. So I want to ask you to stand with me. We're going to pray as we lead up to this invitation. So as you stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to think about what we've heard today. Are you going to be like Israel or be like Jesus? I'm speaking to Christians who know Christ. Are you going to be like Israel or like Jesus? And then if you're here and you're lost, are you going to Listen to the voice of God's servant, Jesus, this morning as he calls out to you, as he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Are you going to listen to him? Are you going to come to him today? You know, he says, it, he, he that cometh to me and I will no lies, no wise cast out. He will receive you. He will save you. He will redeem you because he died for your sins and rose again. Father, we thank you again for your word thank you for your great amazing love that you have for us I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak the message has been given your word has been read we've expounded upon it this morning so now I pray Lord your spirit would, would work 
I pray that your people here today would take heed to your voice, to listen, to obey, to surrender. Lord, I read something this past week that while we don't surrender to to God, we're surrendering to Satan. God, help us not to give Satan any foothold in our life, any ground at all, because you bought us with a price. We, We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to you. And then, God, I pray for those here that if there's anyone that does not know you, does not know for sure that they're saved, does not, does not have the blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Lord, that they might hear your voice today and come to you. Lord, you said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Oh, may your sheep be called out today to come and follow you, to trust you as Lord and Savior. I pray these things in your precious name. Amen. And the curse is going to sing. This is your opportunity to come.